And so when I'm looking at developing new areas in, in a city, mm -hmm. I'm looking not as I did in the 19th century at water and sewer or in the 20th century with electric and gas, but now in the 21st century with broadband. That's the utility of the 21st century. Sure. I've got yeah. to load up my corridors and my areas with Wi-Fi, broadband, and as much fiber optic and ways to get information and data back and forth as possible. Hey guys, welcome to the CRE Project Podcast. Hello, CRE Project Podcast listeners. Thank you for spending some time with Clayton and me today. We are very fortunate to have David Campbell on the podcast with us. David Campbell is the city manager for the city of Rio Rancho. He's also been the city manager for the city of Albuquerque, and those are the two largest metros in the state of New Mexico. He brings a very unique perspective to commercial real estate and how it interfaces with the city government at what point you want to get in contact with those folks and what they are doing on a daily basis to plan for the cities of the future. It's also a very unique perspective because Mr. Campbell is a former land attorney and he has worked as a city attorney with the city of Albuquerque as a private attorney. He's also worked for the U.S. State Department as a diplomat overseas and has done extensive traveling throughout the globe and just has a wonderful perspective, brings it all together for us today here on the show. Hope you enjoy it and get as much from it as Clayton as I as Clayton and I did, and uh, here we go. Dave, thanks so much for being here with us today. Uh, very excited to have you on the show, and really to kind of kick it off, we we've given. Our listeners a brief background of who you are and some of your accomplishments but we'd really like to hear that from you so if you can which I know it's extensive but if you can give us kind of a a little bit of a condensed version of of your past and how you've started out in law and you've lived overseas sure. and how that kind of led you to to being the city manager of two of the largest major metros in New Mexico sure you bet um, I, thanks so much for the opportunity to be here and to talk with you about this. It's a passionate subject for me, commercial real estate and the intersection with government. I think it's great. Um, I've been in Albuquerque for 50 years since high school and have uh, truly enjoyed this, this market. Um, I began, uh, I mean, I, I did work with the government in uh, City Hall in Albuquerque in the early 80s and then went to law school. And coming out of law school at UNM, I went right into real estate law and land use law. I worked with some of the best real estate lawyers, some of whom are still practicing, <laughs> uh, and did that for uh, the better part of 25 years. Um, and during various breaks in that, I, I served in City Hall again in Albuquerque as city attorney, as city manager, and then as city planning director. And now I'm here in Rio Rancho as the city manager, a job that I absolutely adore. So it's, uh, it's great. And part of what I love about this work is the dynamism that we have in this market 
with uh, commercial development, with real estate development, and it's interplay with with sort of governmental interests or the interest of the common uh, the commonwealth. Mm-hmm. Sure, definitely interesting. Um, what kind of attracted you to real estate? I'm just curious. Do you have a family past with real estate, or what? What made yeah, you or choose, no, choose real estate? Law? You're studying law, yeah. Yeah, I I grew up as an army brat. I we moved a lot. I saw a lot of real estate. Uh, I also served as a Peace Corps volunteer in Africa and have lately been a diplomat in both Africa and South America. So I've, I've seen a lot of land. I've seen a lot of places. Wow. And I really see the function of land as being the fount of most value mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, in the market. Yeah, you can say, well, there's a lot of value in the stock market. But without land as a basis, you really don't have wealth. Yeah. Um, And just anecdotally, uh, my wife and I had a little vacation a week ago, and we went to China. Mm -hmm. First time ever there. And there you don't own private property. Basically, the government owns the property. And the whole system of uh, private involvement in land is completely different than our own. And it gave me a really fuller appreciation for the value of land and what we can do with land when we can own it from the middle of the earth to the top of the sky. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Very interesting. Not a lot of people think about that. I know I I knew it was a communist country, but I never put a lot of time and energy into thinking about how real estate works over there. Yeah. Well, you know, as a government guy, I, I actually kind of like it because, you know, I own it all. Yeah. And if I want to put a train line in yeah. or put a, a bus depot or... A, uh, a skyscraper, I can pretty much do that. Yeah. And I don't have a whole lot of uh, countervailing interests yeah. or market interests going against me. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, you know, you, you just don't have many opportunities like, like you guys do in the real estate business yeah. to, uh, to see the appreciation and see the result of your creativity. Yeah. Um, what do you feel is the most influential role that a city can play in commercial real estate? Uh, there, there are several. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a complex set of powers that a city has. A city, you all might first think of the city as a regulator. It's a zoning enforcement or it's a zoning body. I mean, yeah. it, it determines what lands are to be developed in what different ways. And that's when we're wearing our regulator hat. And there's an interplay, there's planning and zoning commissions, there's zoning plans and stuff like that. And sometimes we do it sort of collaboratively and sometimes we do it adversarially. Um, The city is also a police power Mm -hmm. that can, as I just mentioned about China, can say, we're going to take your land from you, okay? We are going to pay you compensation and we'll argue about how much that is, but we can also take your land from you and we can use it for some public purpose. Mm -hmm. And finally, um, the city is a landlord itself. I just left a meeting where we were talking about the use of our public rights of way and how we can perhaps monetize our public rights of way and get money back for the taxpayers, not only for our streets and roadways, but we've got parks, We've got fire stations, we've got police buildings, we've got City Hall. So we are a big landowner and a player in the real estate market itself. So there are a number of different roles, 
and that government plays, um, each of which we have sort of, if you will, a different hat yeah. that we wear. How have you seen incentives play a big role when it comes to development? I, I because, think I mean, yeah. Albuquerque is very different uh -huh. versus Rio Rancho when uh -huh. it comes to, you know, I mean, different cities have different incentives. Sure. Do those play a big role in commercial development and in your, in your you know, past of, of being city managers for multiple different metros? Do, right. Are those an effective tool? Well, they certainly are, and the incentives are not just um, monetary. I mean, y you can you can list the monetary incentives, the impact fee programs, the uh, grant programs, that or the incentives that we may give if you locate like in a redeveloping area. Those are monetary, mm -hmm. but the incentives also exist in the regulatory side, where you know by allowing this land that is previously a1 agricultural you know one unit per acre mm -hmm. when when we allow that land to be used in a higher more dense kind of use through a, through a planning process we have increased the value of that land just like that I mean immediately because of what is now allowed by that land so yeah we we have a whole lot to do with incentivizing uh, development and making land more valuable. And is that, do you feel like as city manager, that's kind of your main role working hand in hand with economic development for your city? It's one of my roles. I mean, there's a broad, yeah, there's a, there's a broad um, job description here from the standpoint of we run public safety organizations. I run a police department and a fire department. I've got parks and rec. I've got, um, a library system and so on. But in the economic development and real estate planning area, those, those are huge factors for us, is what's the, what's the impact of our action going to be on the value of land and the quality of life, the livability of places, and how to balance, because That's a great, lot of it's balance. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, if, if, if you have a if you have land that's single-family residential and immediately adjacent there's vacant land that's zoned single-family residential and you propose to put in uh, multifamily or worse a fat rendering plant mm -hmm. or a manufacturing plant you know you're gonna you're gonna have some problems with the the politics of that with people coming in and saying no I had a reasonable expectation that that property adjacent to me was going to be developed in accordance with the, the then current zoning. And by changing that, you've changed my expectation. You may have all also damaged my, my value, my sure. property values on this adjacent property. So those are, those are the, 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 the really controversial and tough uh, decisions that get made by municipal government that absolutely are central to the commercial yeah. uh, real estate market. And it really is a, it's a really fine balance. Uh -huh. um, you know, because like you said, a lot of people view city as just a, a more of a hurdle than mm -hmm. anything. Right. When in all reality, like you said, one of your most important interests are obviously the people that live here. Yeah. So right. it's, it's trying to balance, okay, we want growth, we want new businesses in the community, but we also want to make sure we don't 
you know, change anybody's living or hinder anybody's right. property values or anything else. And that's challenging. It's a really challenging you thing to do. You don't want to kill the goose that's laying that golden egg. And, and in a place like Rio Rancho, quality of life is huge. Uh, uh, the quality of the education system, likewise, huge. Yeah. The ability to, to have public safety. There's, there's another part to this, and that is by having... Uh, land to the city is valuable because of the taxes that it can generate, which then funds yeah. our municipal operations. So taxes in, in, in our world are basically of two kinds. One is the property tax. Mm -hmm. So if you've, got a, if you've got vacant land, it doesn't have much property tax. You put a structure on it, it gets assessed at a higher amount, and sure. we get some money for that. Yeah. Sure. But in New Mexico, it's the gross receipts tax right. that is the primary funder of local government. And so, you know, it's of great interest to me to have commercial businesses here that are generating gross receipts tax. Right. Why? Because then I can pay for those firefighters and police officers and library books. Right. In, in, in your past, in your history, in your current experience, what do you feel drives growth the most in cities? Is it education? Is it safety? Is it quality of life? I know it's probably all the above, Jobs, but what, what do you feel really drives growth in a city? Um, it's all of the above. Yeah. I mean, um, to the, it's also infrastructure. When infrastructure is available and is already in place, um, it makes it a whole lot less expensive for you to come drop in a, a subdivision, yeah. for example, or a or a shopping mall. Um, so, uh, and we're kind of in charge of that infrastructure, whether it's roadways, whether it's water and sewer, whether it's traffic signals, all of that infrastructure. The more that the, the public entity provides of that, the less cost it is for you to come on later. And it's no, it's no um, surprise that uh, where we have extended our water and sewer lines and our roadways are the first places to get developed. Sure. I mean, that's sort of a no-brainer. And uh, that, too, is a balance. How much of that public infrastructure are we going to require mm -hmm. of the development, mm -hmm. and how much of it's going to be funded by the taxpayers writ large? So when, when you guys were looking, or when you look at your analysis or your annual plan, or 10-year plan, 20-year plan, were there other cities that you were modeling? How do you guys come up with those master plans and, and that idea? Um, how does that all come together for you guys? Um, it, I, I think, you know, I mean, I, I, I fortunately have a bunch of people who are planners yeah. who, are, who have a professional um, education in planning. Sure. Uh, I had... A great staff in in Albuquerque in the planning department and here in development services likewise, and um, they are you know that's their thing they're sure. they're educated in that and they yep. try to stay up on um, sort of what are current trends. I mean, for a while, uh, as you know, we abandoned we had vibrant downtowns and then we in the '60s and '70s we abandoned those downtowns for subdivisions and malls and subdivision uh, or like suburban area became all the rage and now we're we're going back to reinvigorating some of our downtown areas and those sorts of things so yeah we do we look at other cities and what they're doing yes we do sure do we look at market trends uh, like 
you know, retail right now is is challenging. Evolving. You know, okay, evolving. Yeah, okay, <laughs> good. Yeah, you pick your word. But, but there, it's it's not your 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 father's retail business. Right. And so right now, um, my planners are better off taking a look at siting for a distribution center for a mega corporation like an Amazon and a place where distribution can be made not only on roadways but with drone aviation to, to drop off people's packages yeah. because we seem to be moving out of the, uh, the, the retail brick and mortar kind of world into something that we're, that we're seeing and experiencing all the time. So what does that do to city planning? It means that we've got to look at other examples of, yeah. new, of new challenges. This. New challenges, yeah. yeah. How do you? I mean, it's not like we're going to do without retail products. We're just going to get it in a different way. Sure. Yep. What other trends are you seeing out there? Um, this sounds a little woo-woo and sort yeah. of out there, science, sci fiction, and I promise <laughs> you, it's not. But autonomous vehicles yeah. are a reality for us within a very short period of time. And um, it's part of the whole smart city kind of, of movement. And so when I'm looking at developing new areas in, in a city, mm -hmm. I'm looking not as I did in the 19th century at water and sewer or in the 20th century with electric and gas, but now in the 21st century with broadband. That's the utility of the 21st century. Sure. I've got yeah. to load up my corridors and my areas with Wi-Fi, broadband, and as much fiber optic and ways to get information and data back and forth as possible. So, so that's, that's a trend that's very important and it will, it will drive development in this century because you know, look at look at your own. I mean, oh, yeah. we're sitting here. We're sitting here with, with uh, you know devices. devices on the table, and it's not like we can do without these things. Right. We, yeah. They're they're we're reliant on them. But not only that, there are coming new applications, and 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 I will highlight again: autonomous vehicles are a lot closer than we think. They're in uh, they're in production in some places. They're in experimentation experimentation in other places. And I think it's not long until we see the practical effects. Of and that. that that will have, when that time comes, such a far-reaching impact on so many other areas of life. Right. And transportation, housing, parking, consumer patterns, shopping, lifestyle, entertainment. I've just it, All on and on. On and on. It, yeah. it will change life the way the internet changed life. Right. Are you, have you guys modified any codes yet as far as parking or anything like that? Or do you have anything in your plan? Um, we, we have not. Um, we, uh, when I was in Albuquerque, we did sort of, uh, we, we had to deal with the scooter issue. Yeah, the, uh -huh. the fact that e-scooters were suddenly there and we had to figure out how to do that. Was a, that was sort of a, a tiny uh, modification that got made to allow this new form of micro mobility, um, and we're the uh, city council here in Rio Rancho is about to consider the the changes to the telecom ordinances that will allow and enable 5G, which yeah. is uh, is part of this whole movement that will that will ultimately bring broadband and that utility to the urban landscape. So yeah, we I mean. 
five G is th- is that thing that's on the threshold and, and, right and, now. And you are tasked with you know really being ahead of the curve, being able to be a visionary and see those types of opportunities coming down the road. You know, like when they asked Henry Ford, you know, you built this car, you didn't go out and ask people what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, well, if I would have asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Right. You know, so yeah. as you guys are looking at it through that frame of mind, that's got to have an impact on the way you're planning and seeing things moving forward. It, it absolutely does. Let me give you a, let me give you an example. I just came out of a meeting and we were talking about signage and how signage is evolving um, such that, you know, in many places, you know, people are kind of bothered by a multitude of signs mm-hmm. because why? Because these same devices that we carry around with us can tell us how to get from point A to point B. And the question that we now have in designing the urban landscape is, have we passed the time when signs are really even necessary? Mm -hmm. You know, have we gotten to that point? And, you know, the sign industry will tell you no way. But, you know, as you and I, as a practical matter, when you don't know how to get to a place, you put the address in your unit, and it takes you there. Yeah. Or in the future, you'll just tell your car, take or, me take Or, me yeah, there. you tell Siri yeah. or Alexa, you yeah. know, uh, get me to this location. Yeah. And same, same with an autonomous vehicle. Yeah. What's that going to do to certain established industries like signs? What will it do to the look of the urban landscape? I'm What's it going to do to car insurance? Yeah. Well, <laughs> and well there you go. I'm really curious from a governmental perspective. How are you guys weighing that with? public transportation mm-hmm. in, in planning and design. I mean, you know, obviously we had ART go into effect right. in Albuquerque, but U.S. city manager, I mean, how do you guys look at that with that evolving uh, it's, there? It's, it's a great question. Um, in and, and the answer really depends on where you are and how dense your urban area is. Yeah. Uh, as I said, I was just in China last week. <laughs> I rode the bullet train at yeah. 210 miles per hour Unreal. between City A and City B. Yeah. And it was unbelievable. But why were they able to do that? It's because City A had 30 million people in it, and City B has Crazy. 10 million people yeah. in it. So they have the density to allow for that kind of uh, urban transportation or intercity transportation. Here, it's much more difficult to do um, mass transit as we know it uh, because of the availability of automobiles and the fact that we um, are using them. But consider this, when we have autonomous vehicles and you, you have a kid in elementary school or a couple of kids in elementary school, will you have enough trust in that system to put those kids in that pod and program it to take them to school and then to go pick them up in the afternoon all the while you're at work. Yeah, I I always tell people I'm fascinated because if I was sitting at a table like this Uh 10 years ago and someone came up to me and said, yeah, I'm gonna make an app where a total stranger drives up in their own car and you're just gonna drive. You're just going to hop in it, and they're just going to drive you yeah. to wherever right. you want to go. Yeah. I'd be like, you're freaking nuts. You're nuts. But how <laughs> I don't many know who they are. You know, yeah. Yeah. You know right. and it's just a common thing now. So uh-huh. it's, you know, it has to be challenging because even in our business, and, you know, I do a lot of retail work, and uh-huh. so does Gannon, and just how fast 
technology is evolving. Right. And well, and know. how and how quickly it's changing the the landscape that you have. I mean, for me, it that kind of availability of of a ride instead of having to own a car. Yeah. You know, I have to look at how what my uh, what my requirements are for parking spaces mm, right. at a shopping center, sure. and if in fact people are are starting to buy rides and not cars, then I need a lot fewer parking spaces per square foot. Correct. And I and I I think as we look into the future, it's going to be that interplay between the commercial uh, real estate you know experts. And the government, they're going to say, "Look, we haven't filled this parking parking lot in ages. Yeah. Yeah. We'd like to, you know, build more pad sites here and yeah. use up some of the some of the excess parking spaces we've got because people, frankly, live close enough to walk, or they are able to buy a ride and not have to store their car here on the lot. Yeah, and we've seen that in some of the larger cities in the urban core areas where they're building multifamily developments, new ground up stuff or redeveloping, and they have less parking spaces per project than they do doors. Right. And so that's definitely a trend in bigger cities too. It is for for retail. Where do you feel the best opportunity is right now in commercial development? my, my personal favorite, and I'm looking out here at uh, UNM's Sandoval Regional Medical Center, and um, I think the, uh, it's, it's a specialized type of commercial, but it's the medical and innovation kind of world. Um, I, I don't, we don't aspire here to just have another hamburger place. Mm-hmm. We're really aspiring to be a, a, a place that, that creates um, value in using real estate for uh, biological, medical, scientific kinds of uses. Um, In this market, in Albuquerque, uh, Bernalillo County, Sandoval County, Rio Rancho, um, we have really a lot of smart people. We've got skies that are as blue as this one, and we've got great places to live. Why wouldn't people who live on the coasts, who are threatened by all the threats of that they have, from congestion to rising seas to, you know, Hurricanes. forest fires, yeah. um, why wouldn't they want to bring their talents to our place that that has such 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 a high quality of living? So, so I'm curious. I mean, if you can elaborate on, I mean, the biggest part of economic development is obviously growing the economy. Uh-huh. How do you guys do that? I mean, I'm just I'm curious when you go and, and talk to different companies about coming to Rio Rancho. I mean, what what does the city yeah, you, do you, to really? You're wanting to promote them? and foster yeah, exactly. uh, uh, an environment that that promotes and encourages growth and mm-hmm. business friendly environments and and, and uh, legislation that supports development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'm just kind of picked up. No, yeah, I'm telling yeah. what you said. There, there may be two schools of thought. One is. Bring us whatever you got. I'll take it. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. and um, you know, like beggars can't be choosers. And so, if it's a call center, we'll you know, yeah, we'll take it. Uh, but I'd rather be. Uh, I think we're at a place right now with Albuquerque, Bernalillo County, Rio Rancho, Sandoval County, that we're able to be a lot more selective. That we can say, look, the quality of life we have here is so great mm. and so much better 
than that which you may be experiencing in some of these more challenging places. That we're going to we're going to market, we're going to designate this area is our aviation space yeah. down around the Sunport and the new developments that are happening both north and south of the Sunport. We can say this is our this is really our aviation space, and we're going to deal with innovation in aviation. Mm -hmm. You know from personal mobility with jetpacks to drone technology to, by the way, we have an Air Force base right yeah. there yeah. and an Air Force research lab, yeah. you know. So build on the kind of strengths that you've already got. Ha happens to be up here in, in Rio Rancho, I've got two brand new uh, hospitals, first-rate hospital yeah. facilities at Russ Presbyterian and here at SRMC. And so I'm looking at this as being a place we can, we can market, we can brand as a, a bioscience uh, center yeah. of excellence where, where you, know, you, you meet that market and distinguish yourself. Don't just say, bring it, yeah. whatever you got, yeah. but Have be a, very deliberate about what it is that you're looking for, and then you can go for higher quality kinds of things. Very interesting. Can, can I ask you about your experience with you know, public-private partnerships? And, and, and I know you wear a lot of different hats, as Clayton alluded to. How involved are you with that, and what type of experience do you have in the past? Do you, are you looking at anything like that moving forward? Yes. Um, the, uh, the, oftentimes, in New Mexico, um, the government has not much revenue, not much sort of... Um, disposable revenue, but we we tend to be land rich. Sure. Okay. So, and that happens to be the case out here in the civic center of Rio Rancho where we're sitting. Um, the UNM owns the land adjacent. The city of Rio Rancho owns this land that we're sitting on. And just beyond this, the state land office has, has land. So, um, the, the availability of what could be very valuable land is vested in these governments. There are techniques by which we can deliver land to uh, a development on conditions, uh, on good terms, sure. because I've got, I've got almost no basis in it, frankly. Right. I'm not sitting here having to pay mortgage on it. I own the land. Yeah. You know, I, citizens, yes. taxpayers, <laughs> yeah. own the land. And um, so I can contribute that land as part of a partnership and I can also, uh, using the regulatory powers that we just talked about and the incentives that a zone change, uh, a roadway infrastructure can do, I can, I can offer those kinds of things to a development if you do the thing that brings in jobs. Yeah. So, yeah, I think public-private partnerships uh, ought to be all the rage and government ought to have yeah. a very um, partnership, aggressive kind of posture with respect to that, yeah. uh, particularly where, you, you know, where the, the assets that we have are, are important to a developer. You guys need land. Okay, fine. I got land. Yeah. Let's figure something out. Yep, absolutely. Where do you, uh, going back even, you know, putting your, your former land use attorney hat on and uh -huh. then also your city manager, where do you see the most friction between commercial developers tech you know typically and cities and what do you feel like the commercial development industry can really work on mm -hmm. um again great question complex answer uh <laughs> short so, amount of time so there yeah. you go <laughs> i mean your your 
entities thrive on, uh, you may think that you thrive on money and assets and stuff like that. You actually thrive on certainty. You need to know what the rules are. Mm -hmm. And one of the dilemmas with government is that um, sometimes we, we flow with the politics or the elected officials or a new urban theory mm -hmm. kind of thing. And by not providing certainty, we are harming your opportunity to make an investment, make a business. Nobody's going to invest if they can't be, if they can't have the certainty of whether it's the zoning or the fact that the road's going to go past here or that, you're, that the city's going to pay for that road or that they're going to have water and sewer and utilities. I mean, so, so it's, it's those, that kind of certainty. So, you know, the, the, the worst, going back to land use law, the worst kind of litigation I ever saw was where the city said one thing, the developer did something in reliance on that, and then the city said mm -hmm. a different thing. Mm -hmm. And that whole notion, we call it vested rights, but vested rights are hugely important. And what it really means is the certainty of knowing what I can do with my land and what kind of investment I'm going to have. Uh, so I'd say that's the biggest point of friction is where the city is not, um, doesn't have the sort of honor of its contract, you know, and is willing to make changes. Yeah. Now, sa same thing can happen on the other side. Absolutely. Uh, if I'm sitting here at the city and I say, yeah, you can use the land for this, and, and you go out to the market and the market says, well, I can't get that, but I can get a, you know, I can't get a, a medical facility, but I can get a call center. Right. Well. I made a whole lot, I, city, made a whole lot of investments and expectations by, you know, making these offers and then you come back with something different than what you promised. So it's, it's that bond that is the bond of contract mm -hmm. that I think is hugely important and we've got we've to um, yeah, keep emphasizing that on both sides. Yeah, great, great answer. What, uh, what are you doing with your team in economic development? to and planning to in regards to the permit process because uh -huh. that seems to be something that we just hear across the board no matter where you're at in the, yeah. the country as developers it always takes to, it always takes too long to get yeah. through permitting right. Right. are you guys are you guys uh working on any systems to expedite that or is it just i mean the answer is yeah yes yes we are um there's there, there are a couple things that i think are important one is um making sure that you've got updated um, you know, rules and ordinances and laws and that sort of thing. And as I said, I just got out of a meeting where we're talking about signage mm -hmm. and how important that is or how, how changed that may be. An example, I mean, so that's one example mm -hmm. of um, making sure the ordinances are, are uh, right. The other is, um, and we did this both at the city of Albuquerque in planning and we do it here, and that is the ability of a landowner or an investor to come in on an informal basis without having too much investment in their property or the engineering or the legal aspects of it and come in and get a shirt sleeve opinion from the regulators. Yeah, you can do this. And so down there they call it a DRC, a DRC, uh, DRC meeting. I think those are very valuable for people to get an early, um, more or less binding 
uh, notion of what the process is going to be and how much time it's going to take. And you have all the proper officials. In and you have, it's yeah, just, you, it's make, awesome. you make sure that you have the right people there, the planner, the fire marshal, the code enforcement people, and the public works people yeah. that, that are able to say, you know, if you come in with, with this, here's what we're going to require and here's what we're going to allow and that sort of thing. That, I think, um, even though it's an anathema to government to go that informal, it's really very helpful to the process as a technique to give people the what I just mentioned, which was more certainty. I was just going to say that, yeah. It adds a level of predictability to what you can do with that right. piece of dirt. And it's, and it's you know, we always say it's, it's a high, high value monetarily. Uh-huh. It's probably the highest value business that you can be in. So having that level of predictability, right. both from the development standpoint, the developer standpoint, and from the city perspective, yeah. it's important that there's a partnership there. Because right. at the end of the day, that's really mm-hmm. that's really what it is, yeah. you right. know. And it's important to have all the neighborhood input and everything else because they're well, living in the community. Right, and that's something that the that the IDO in Albuquerque um, did was um, I was so you know, I I basically made a whole lot of money as a land use lawyer with developments that, that kept it all secret and then they then they introduced it to the neighborhood and the neighborhood went crazy and then I had to help the developer through this thicket that was created because people were angry and mm-hmm. people were ticked off. And so um, the IDO has changed that and put consultations with neighbors in the front of the process, which you know, as difficult as that may be, is a whole lot less expensive and more helpful than having all the conflicts and all the legal fees at the end of the process. Good point. Yeah. What are you seeing uh, adopted in other markets that you feel your market could benefit from? Um, I'm going to go back to the whole notion of smart cities and having... Um, I'm really fascinated sensor- by that. Could you, could you elaborate on, sure. on that a little bit? Because I don't yeah. know. I mean... I don't know if I'm really familiar with that term. I, I can put the pieces together. But well, is that like the 2030 are. initiative? Is that similar? I don't know what okay. the 2030. But but here's the idea that in the environment you've got um, you've got information that flows at, at a very high rate at a high capacity. So that um, if I leave my home in my car in the Northeast Heights, I can look on the website and see that there is parking available down at Popejoy Hall or downtown, and I can actually reserve a space down there before I leave. That gives me some predictability and lets me know that, um, you know, that I can go to that restaurant or that show and know that I'm gonna be able to park there. It's like making a reservation well, for a public space. Sure. But you can only do that because the sensors that are on the streetlights are, are seeing what the availability of parking is and they can block in a certain space for you when you reserve it. So that's an example. Um, from a municipal standpoint, as a, as a guy who really gets thrilled at the collection of trash, for example, um, I can route my trash trucks. If I have a sensor in the dumpster uh-huh. and the sensor can tell me how full or how, uh, or how low the dumpster is, I can route my trash trucks to the most needy dumpster and empty those before I get to the lower uh, priority ones. And 
that means my route, my driver's route, may be different every day. Yeah. But I'm making sure that I'm taking care of my priorities. Why? Because I have more information than I did yesterday. I know how much, how much trash, because there's a sensor under the, the, uh, the gate or the, the, the top of the, the dumpster. So as a municipal wonk, I kind of like that because I can save money, I can save routes, exactly. I can save wear and tear on my trucks. Be more efficient. And be more efficient. So, you know, and just like these devices, and I'll keep coming back to these, the, the number of things that we can do when our cities are smart, when, the, when, when information is ubiquitous and, um, and, and really robust, is we don't yet know all the things that will be possible. Who knew when Steve Jobs did these things that we were gonna be able to do, like you said, with the Uber, get into a car of a perfect stranger and be taken right to the door of where you want to yeah. go. Who knew that, you know? But, um, so, you know, the possibilities, I think, for smart cities um, are, uh, are vast. Do you, do you think, is there anything that a commercial developer could do? Is there a different lens that they can put on for developing in the next five, ten years that would benefit the city? That is there something that you would like to see a developer do differently? Mm -hmm. um, that, I, I, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's a little challenging. I, I still keep coming back to this notion that... Um, not everything is bricks and mortar. The information is out there, yeah. and um, your own uh, area is uh, is is evolving so quickly. Part of the, think about this though in the retail business. Part of what people are doing when they go do retail is they are shopping. They're mm -hmm. looking for stuff, but that's not the biggest part of it. They're getting to see each other. They're getting getting to interact in a human environment. Yeah. And you look at some of the most animated spaces in the world. You look at um, Las Ramblas in Barcelona, or the Champs Elysees in Paris, or you know uh, Times Square in New York. Yeah. Why are people there? They're not there because they want to buy stuff. Yeah. They're there because they want to mingle with other people. So creating gathering spaces, I think, is hugely important. Yeah. yeah, you may sell some stuff on the side, you may have, but your land is very valuable if you can attract people to that place. Because, you know, uh, again, you know, with the, the electronic world that we're in, we could spend all of our time not interacting yeah. with anybody, but there's a, there's a human need that says, we need to gather. So, um, you, and I need that as a, as a uh, person who runs a, a, a city. Mm -hmm. I need to have places where people gather. That's why it was important in Albuquerque to create the rail yards, to recreate the rail yards yeah. as a gathering spot. Correct. I mean, it's not that it won't be helpful or, or useful as a retail spot or as an educational spot, but it is great as a, as a place where people can gather and they can see each other and they can say, hey, meet me down here at the such and such. Um, having those kind of spaces as part of your commercial development I think is real helpful. So rather than focus the, the front doors of all of your stores on a large parking lot, yeah. Focus it on a place that's of human scale that encourages people to mix and mingle and meet. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's how your retail is changing, too, is because you're looking at entertainment 
and not so much buying stuff, yeah. uh, entertainment and... and uh, yeah, we've had, a prior, we've had a prior guest uh, reference it or mention it as ESG, environmental, social, and governmental, mm-hmm. and factor that into your into your plan. Yeah. But, you know, one thing that I always encourage and, and often refer to myself, and, and you mentioned it earlier, is just embracing change. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a big problem that we have in the industry as a whole is, you know, people get used to doing things a certain way and we've been doing this for 20 years and they're just they're afraid and you know they think of it as over regulation when in all reality from the city's perspective you're saying guys these are the trends that we're seeing this is where we really want our city to go and you need to embrace it and help us build that yeah so it's challenging and and those change changes have a lot to do with how we get to and from places i mean we we are uh we're so auto dependent that uh, changes in that area are going to affect how you develop your your spaces. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks again for your time. Yeah, we Great, really greatly appreciate greatly it. appreciate it. And it's really is fascinating stuff. Yeah, it's wonderful insight. We always see it just from the developer's perspective, so it's it's great to engage. And we didn't even get a chance to talk to you about your your foreign service work with the Department of State, which is something <laughs> no, I really wanted to hear about. So we, we will we'll have to we will do that the next exotic travel. Do that the next time. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you. It's been yeah, my pleasure. Absolutely, and we'll put your uh, your your contact information in the show notes. So if anybody has any questions, they can reach out to you. That's great. So, all Look right, forward to it. Thank thanks, you. guys. Appreciate you bet. Hello, CRE Project Podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in and spending some time with Clayton and I. Hope you enjoyed listening to David Campbell as much as we did. He's an absolute wealth of information. Love to hear his perspective. He's got such knowledge across the globe. So wonderful to see how that impacts his decision making here locally for us and and through those different types of uh, opportunities. So thanks for spending some time with us. If you want any more information, please visit the website at thecreproject.com. And looking forward to talking with you all soon. Bye-bye.